0: Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode three. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. I hope this past week has treated you well and that you're all doing all right. I also want to extend a welcome to anyone listening in from the original Outcast podcast feed, and if you are, I hope you'll consider subscribing to the show as well since this will be where any updates on my writing journey will be posted. And speaking of writing, we're continuing with chapter 2 of Outcast this week. If you're just tuning into the show, you'll want to listen to episode 2 to start the beginning of the story. So, without further ado, here's chapter 2 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel. Written and read by Chris Fitzden Chapter 2 I never gave it much thought back then, but it seems strange to me now that no one came to my aid that night. Many clansmen, some of them seasoned fighters, were still in that building, yet no one ever came. Had I known then what I know now, it wouldn't have surprised me so much. But back then, I was far too preoccupied with staying alive to take my surroundings into account. I should have died that night. Yet, my eyes found a reason to open once more. They should have beheld the green fields of the paradise that awaits all clansmen upon death. I should have been staring into the muzzles of my ancestors who were to welcome me with open arms. However. When my eyes did open, I saw nothing. Well, nothing in focus, anyway. I blinked to try and clear the cobwebs out of my head, and after several minutes my surroundings became more recognizable, if not familiar. I was in a room. Not my bedroom, though. Too small. Candles bathed the room in a faint golden glow. I felt thankful for that, as anything brighter would have scarred my retinas for life. My nose could make out the strong scent of incense in the air. It reminded me of the days our clan attended services at the temple on our estate grounds. Once per week, the High Priest of Kaon would grace us with his presence and lead us in praise to our adopted patron. The temple was often thick with the smell of incense, which helped to calm one's mind and soul. I had to admit, smelling it in that room went a long way to easing my growing curiosity about my situation. Underneath the calming sense though, I could also smell the antiseptic and organic scents found only in a medical facility. No other place in the world, or even many worlds, can duplicate an odor like that. My right ear twitched and instinctively turned towards the sound of the heart monitor, steadily beeping away telling everyone that somehow, for some reason only a divine being could answer, I'd survived. By the gods. I was alive. I tried to turn my head, but the muscles in my neck were so stiff it hurt to do so. Not expecting the pain from the effort, I let out a small whimper and shut my eyes tightly to ride it out. However, when I heard the gasp, the pain in my neck faded away and I forced my eyes back open. Have you ever been awakened from a sleep so deep that even though your eyes are open, your ears are working, and you can talk, your brain just doesn't register who it is you're talking to? That's exactly how I felt when her face filled my vision. I could hear her voice. I could see her with absolute clarity, and I could sense the released tension in the way she moved and spoke. Yet, I didn't recognize her. I tried to concentrate, but my mind drew a complete and utter blank. Dallin? she asked. Don't you recognize me? It's me. Your mother. Mother. It felt like something in my mind had suddenly burst open. The last mental barrier finally collapsed, and my conscious mind flooded with memories. Yes, I had a mother, a father, grandparents, brothers, and sisters. I had a family. No, it was more than a family, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a clan, and an important clan at that. We'd done something recently too, hadn't we? Yes, Father had won something... Something important. Something he entrusted to... Me? My mind suddenly flashed to that night. Although my eyes were open, I could no longer see Mother or even the hospital room in which I was. All I could see were the four who chased me down, who hunted me like I was prey. One of them held their sword high in the air and brought it down on me. I felt the steel tip tear through my skin, and I screamed in pain. Doctor, quickly! I began thrashing about like a fish out of water. I wanted to roll away before the next strike, but I couldn't. The second blade cut into me and I screamed again. Volcanoes of pain erupted all over my body and despite my best efforts, I was helpless to stop their onslaught. They allowed me to survive as a mutilated cripple rather than killing me outright. I screamed and screamed as they continued to hack away at me reducing me to nothing but carved meat and exposed bone. Something pressed on my neck, followed by a little pinprick as the sedative finally entered my bloodstream. All at once, it became harder and harder to fight. My vision grew spotty yet again as the drug worked its way through me, deadening my muscles and encouraging my brain to shut down once more. My breathing returned to normal, and the last thing I saw was my mother staring at me with a look of concern and joy on her face. It's all right, my son, she choked. Sleep for now. It's all right. I don't know how much time passed before my eyes opened again, only that this time everything seemed clearer than before. I still had questions, lots of questions, but for now I knew I was safe and above all, alive. I tried to move my head again, this time more slowly than before. The stiffness was still there, but now that I was expecting it, I could work through the pain and make my neck work. Still, it was an effort, and I couldn't help but let a small moan escape my throat. At once I felt a gentle hand stroke behind my ears. I saw my mother sitting there, tears streaming down her face but smiling. It was at the same time the single most heartbreaking and heart-warming thing I'd ever seen. Welcome back, she said softly. I tried to say something, but she put a finger to my lips and then reached for a cup of water. She guided the straw to my mouth and I sipped at it slowly. Slow as I was, I still couldn't help but cough violently. She steadied me as best she could until my coughing fit passed and I could breathe normally again. "'Where am I?' I finally asked, barely realizing that those were the first words I'd spoken since the attack. "'You're in the hospital, Dallin,' she said softly. Her tender hand found its way back to behind my ear. "'A lot has happened to you, son. It will take time to explain it all.' I could feel a tear come to my eye, and I tried to wipe it away. It was then that I realized that I couldn't move. I tried to move my hand, but it was no use. I could feel my heartbeat grow faster and my breathing grow more panicked. I I can't move, I said. I felt myself beginning to shake again. Well, the parts of me that would. Instead of calling for the doctor, though, Mother merely placed her hand directly on my chest. Calm yourself, she said sternly. The answers will come, son, but you must stay calm. You know, there's something about a mother's snarl that can change your attitude in a heartbeat. I always remembered Mother as someone you could go to with any problem, from a bump or scrape to your older sister pulling out half your whiskers but gods be with you should you draw her ire. I remember times when even father backed down from her. So, when she told me to calm down, I did my best to comply, though even her authority nearly paled against the rising panic in me. Finally, I stopped shaking, and though I was still breathing hard, mother took her hand from my chest and sat back down. Your limbs were badly damaged she said. When Narelle found you, he feared you were dead, but saw you were still breathing. He bundled you up as best he could and got you here as fast as he dared. She continued to stroke behind my ears, which helped to calm my breathing a bit. None of us will ever forget what he did for you, and neither should you. Forget? How could I ever forget the man who saved my life? Norell had always been that voice of clarity to my confused mind when I was a cub. It wasn't as though he would sit me down and lecture me on things, though. It was more like the odd bit of advice here and there. Something you'd keep in the back of your mind until the time was right to act on it. Having served our clan for so long, Norell knew more about its history than even grandfather. In truth, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if, from time to time... Our wise elder consulted his driver on ways to manage the goings-on in the clans. As to your limbs, Mother continued, It has taken time to repair them, son, and much still needs to be done before you can leave here. How much time? I could see Mother struggling with the answer, and I could feel my fear beginning to rise once more. Mother? Dallin, she began. You've been here for... a year. A year. At first I thought she was joking, but when she pulled the covers down to show me my arms it was proof enough. While later I would find dozens of ragged scars underneath my fur, I wore no bandages. Had my attack only occurred mere hours ago, they'd still be a mess of slashed flesh and covered in blood-soaked bandages. No. What she said had to be the truth. It was the only logical explanation. I was about to say something when I noticed two people entering the room. They, one a jaguar and the other a cheetah, were wearing the white coat so synonymous with anyone in the medical profession. From the looks on their muzzles, I could only assume that these two were the ones responsible for keeping me alive all this time. Ah, said the cheetah. I see the sedatives finally worn off. I trust this time your wake-up was a little less shocking? I nodded dumbly. Who are you? The cheetah bowed slightly. My name is Dr. Karl Sheck, and this is Dr. Horace Tokoru. The jaguar also bowed. They are the ones who repaired your limbs, said Mother, greeting the pair with a smile and a nod. Repaired? I asked. Then why can't I— the tendons that held your muscles to your skeleton were severed, said Dr. Tokoru. He produced a data pad from his coat and activated it. It projected a holographic image of what looked like an arm, showing the muscle and how it connected to the bone. Unfortunately, a significant percentage of your muscles were also damaged beyond repair. He tapped on the pad, and the image changed to what I could only assume my arms must have looked like. The muscle tissue appeared rotted or decayed. Normally, protocol dictates that we amputate the damaged limbs and replace them with prosthetic ones. I tensed. However, Dr. Sheck offered an alternative. I've been studying earth medicine for years, said the cheetah, and I must say their sense of vanity is most fascinating. Instead of such a barbaric procedure as amputation, I suggested that the damaged portions of your muscles be replaced with cybernetic implants. Dr. Tokoru tapped a few more keys on his pad and the image shifted again, this time to what looked like a white liquid being injected into the arm and the liquid coating the damaged tissue. Nanobots were injected into your arms and legs, Dr. Shek explained. Once inside, they began rebuilding any damaged muscle tissue. When the repairs finished, the implants attached to the muscles, thereby completing the operation. The image finally showed the finished result which appeared as normal as the first image, except for several muscle striations appearing white instead of red. It's a very delicate operation, but the result far surpasses what limited mobility prosthetics would have given you. I looked at my mother. I mean, it was fine that I was whole, but since when did one's mobility depend on aesthetics? Was I to be the resident storm mannequin now, put into different poses by my sisters? Was I now a real-life doll? You've probably noticed that you cannot move, said Dr. Tokoru, to which I nodded. That's because the implants required you to be conscious to begin calibrating. As we speak, they are synchronizing with your biorhythms and neural pathways. It will take a day or two, but you will be able to move again. I can't tell you how relieved I was to hear that. The thought of permanent confinement to a hover chair... Unable to do anything for myself was terrifying. As relieved as I was at this news, I could see that Dr. Takoru had more to say. However, he said, you should also be aware that this is only the first step in your recovery. After so long in a comatose state, your muscles have atrophied to the strength of a newborn kitten. I am recommending that you remain here to undergo physical rehabilitation until you are up and about on your own. He looked at my mother. The family is always invited to attend and participate, of course. We will, she said. I had to admit, at that moment, I thought everything was going to be all right. Any concerns I had about the Kumal or the Kalpak or anything else connected to that night vanished with the thought of seeing my family again. Don't get me wrong, seeing my mother again was a gift from the patrons. But I wanted to see the rest of them, no matter what. Mother noticed the growing excitement in me and bid the doctors leave us in peace for the time being. After they left, she turned to me. I can see the questions forming in your mind, son, she said. And I know exactly what you want to ask. But don't worry. Once I've let everyone else know you're awake, you'll have more attention than you'll know what to do with. Her smile was sincere, so much so that I overlooked the pensive look in her eyes. She was hiding something from me. And as happy as she was that I was still alive, her happiness seemed darkened somehow by something. I realized then that my losing the Kalpak had caused a stir amongst the clans. I just had no idea how deep that stirring ran and what it would cost. We talked for hours. Mother brought me up to date on the goings on in our family, and I lay there, hanging on to her every word. I learned that Jenna, my baby sister, had been born the very night both father and I entered the hospital. Caring for her had helped everyone deal with my situation over the year. Tila, my only older sibling, had done the most to help mother with Jenna, and that didn't surprise me. Tila always wanted a family of her own, and I imagine taking care of her baby sister was something she considered good practice for when she finally married. Of course, according to mother, She still had yet to be in a relationship. My two brothers, Richard and Alexander, had matured a lot over the year. I suppose having a near-dead brother in the hospital does that to someone. There had been tense times as their frustration over what happened to me got the better of them, but it never lasted. According to Mother, Father was always there to calm their outbursts and reassure them that things would get better. I only wish he'd been right. The rest of my family had fared well over this time. Grandfather was still the same wise elder he'd always been, and my dear grandmother was constantly by his side. My younger sister, Mikio, was growing up fast as well. (laughs) She was nearly as tall as Alexander, despite the three-year age difference in favor of my brother. I also learned that, when they could, my friends had also come to see me all this time. My non-Clan friends were the most frequent visitors, and that didn't surprise me. Clan life was nothing if not regimented. Learning that my fellow clansmen had little time to check up on me was less of a surprise and more of an expectation. Still, any contact they'd made with me was more than appreciated. We talked long into the night, long past when any sane being was still awake, and I could see Mother beginning to fade. I didn't want to try and sleep for fear of another year going by, but she assured me that she would wake me in the morning. She leaned down and kissed me on the forehead before bidding me good night and moving towards one of the more comfortable lounging chairs to sleep. Though my eyes closed, I wasn't tired. Um, not mentally, anyway. Tomorrow was going to be the day I returned to life as I knew it. I knew the road ahead was going to be tough, and that it would take equal measures of time, pain, and patience before I could regain even my most basic abilities. At that moment though, I didn't care. I cheated death himself, and soon my life would continue just as it had before. Huh, had I only known what kind of cruel trick the patrons had in store for me then, I would have ended my own life. And there we go. Dallin survived and is now on the road to recovery, though it sounds like something more is coming. Tune in next week to see what happens. I'm not going to lie, this week has been a little tedious for me. The pandemic and all that it's caused is getting to a lot of people in my life, and it's bringing all of us down. Add to that the anxiety about trying to find a job in this kind of climate, and I'm amazed I was able to get any writing done. I did manage to get through some more revisions of A New Beginnings First Chapter, though some of the concepts I'm trying to add into this world I'm building are a little hard to articulate without sounding less like a story and more like a lecture. I'll figure it out though. It's easy to get discouraged in times like this. Even if the pandemic hasn't affected your health or your job, I know that the social landscape has changed drastically. The social contact we all take for granted is largely gone now, which can make you feel very alone. It can lead your head into a lot of bad places, too. I mean, it's easy to feel discouraged or to feel useless, and that nothing you do will ever amount to anything. One of my original heroes in the podcasting world is Matthew Ebel. Years ago, he used to do a show called High Orbit, where he would play some pretty good music selections. I got to meet him a few times at conventions, and also had the privilege of seeing him perform live. Overall, he's a great guy. Several years ago, he penned a blog entry called You're Not Good Enough, which offers readers a glimpse into what I think goes through a lot of minds when we're trying out something new, or when life just seems determined to make you fail. I'll put a link to that entry in the show notes, and I encourage everyone to give it a read. So that's going to wrap it up here for today. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show at the kickin'thecast so you won't miss a single episode. For feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com, or you can leave a message via SpeakPipe at the show's website at kickity 5ca So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca, and to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.